Good to see you, and uh, happy to be here myself after our one-week hiatus last week. Yeah, I was uh, working and tired by this time last week, so good to see you and good to be here myself. Let's begin our time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, just the opportunity to gather, and we thank you for bringing us together. I thank you for this community, I thank you for these people, and I thank you for the love that you put between us. I ask you, God, that you would be right here in the middle of us to teach us tonight, to inspire us, to confront us if need be, to uh, really uh, strengthen us, to encourage us, God, uh, to help us to receive all that you have for us, because we're here to hear from you, and we're here to be inspired by you, and we're here, God, to learn from you. So have your way. We open our hearts, we open our minds, and we ask you, God, that you would speak, and we'd have ears to hear. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. And as you're opening to Psalm 24, if you need a Bible, grab one off the table. Uh, we have them available here. Tim Hayes just grabbed a Bible. Tim is heading back to Northern Ireland soon. So he's at his last Bible study night before he heads back. So Tim, thanks for coming, man. It's good to see you. And uh, we'll be praying for you as you head back onto the mission field. Wonderful. When did you get here this year? I forgot. Uh, beginning of July. Be okay. So nice, nice, nice visit. Yeah. Awesome. All righty. Well, get back there and do it. I feel lucky. And I was just going to mention Speak Pipe is available. It's a feature available here at Bible Study if you'd like to participate. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to leave uh, what would appear to be a voicemail, and you can ask a question, leave a comment, share a testimony, uh, any way that you'd like to participate in what we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. You go to www.speakpipe, that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot -E com, slash, and it's all one word, Monday Night Bible Study. And there's a button to toggle there. Leave us a message, and we'll play that. And uh, we'll endeavor to play that and answer your question or enjoy your comment or whatever the case may be. So we'd love to hear from you. So take advantage of that. Psalm 24 and verse 7. If someone would like to read that. All right. Thanks for reading that. And then if you keep reading, and I would encourage you to do so, not you, Don, but, I mean, you can keep reading, but not out loud, that's what I'm saying. Uh, if you want to keep reading through there, uh, you'll see the same phrases repeated over and over again, and there's a reason for that. There's new information that's added when they repeat the phrase. Uh, that's pretty common in this type of literature. It's uh, poetic literature, and so they use that as a device, so they'll ask the same question, but then they'll answer it maybe a different way or answer it in a similar way, but adding some more information to it. 
but it's a way of reinforcing truth, but it's also a way of adding new truth to it. So uh, if you want to read through that, you can. I'm going to refer to some of the things, especially in verse 8, as we're looking at verse 7. Uh, you can go backwards and forwards through these passages and see that. But we want to start with the what's being spoken here is to open your gates. And the, the idea of opening your gates is to leave their normal operation. And so this is something that they would do or have to do, and it would be something that would be different than the normal way that the gates were open and closed. What they're looking for is the gates to be open wide and high. And the reason for that is that the normal height of the gate is too low for a dignitary to come through. And so what they're trying to do is prepare the city, prepare the gates for a dignitary to come through. And in order to do that, he's saying you need to do something different. You need to do something that is outside of the normal operation. And so you would need to open those gates wide, and you need to open those gates high. And so uh, the, the, the whole psalm here is talking about, likely talking about, when David brought the ark back into Jerusalem. I don't know if you remember that story uh, from <clears throat> the Old Testament, but the ark of the covenant had been captured and it had been away from Jerusalem for a long time. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. It represented His glory. represented Him being with His people. And in a real way, it was filled with certain artifacts, certain things that represented who God is. And there were times when the Ark was brought or the Ark had, uh, was in a particular place of honor that really neat things would happen. Uh, things where God would show his glory, things where God would reveal himself in some way. And so that was something that was common. The ark was the centerpiece of the temple. It was the centerpiece of the tabernacle. It was the centerpiece of the worship of Israel. So they had carried the ark all through the wilderness. They had brought the ark uh, into the promised land. They had uh, had a special place within the within the tabernacle for the ark, and so this was the presence. They considered it to be the presence of God. Uh, what had happened, if you remember the story, they had gone to get the ark. The Philistines had stolen the ark, but everything bad was happening to them whenever anything was happening with the ark. So they, they, if you read the story, they, they got all kinds of problems from the ark. Like, they, they had plagues that would take place. One of the plagues they had were hemorrhoids. Who wants hemorrhoids? I mean, really? I mean, all these things were happening, and, like, their, their statue of their god fell over, and his head broke off when they put the ark in the same spot with the statue and all this stuff. So all these bad things happen, so they're like, okay, well, let's just take it back, really. Let's just return this thing because it's, it's not worth having it around. And so they did. They took it back, and they were moving the ark, people of Israel, and the ark started to fall off the wagon that it was on, and one of the, the men of Israel reached out, and he touched the ark with his hand, and he was struck dead. And so then they just left the ark there for a while. It was near a barn. They pulled it into the barn and just left it. 
And so after a certain amount of time, they said, all right, well, let's bring it into Jerusalem. And so they did. And so it was a huge worship time. Uh, David gave everybody snacky cakes for that when they were coming back. And there was a big celebration, and there was dancing, and there was singing, and there was all this good stuff happening. You know, all these things were going on. So, uh, and, and this was the, the famous thing where David danced before the Lord, and he danced in his linen ephod, kind of in his underwear thing, you know, and not, not, very, not very dignified for a king, but he was out dancing, worshiping the Lord. And he had a wife <coughs> who was the, the daughter of Saul, and she judged him for it, and she rebuked him for it. And he had a few words for her when she did that. And, uh, and so it was just a huge celebration. And so as part of the celebration, it's believed that the psalm is part of that. And what they're, they're celebrating, they're saying, open your gates. And they're speaking of the gates of Jerusalem, the ancient gates. And, and think about these gates that they had been, they're unconquered. They'd been beaten. But they'd never been conquered. They were old. And, and they'd been there for a long time. But it, up until this point, they hadn't been conquered. And so what they were saying is, all right, you got these tough gates, these old gates. These gates have been around a long time. These gates that have offered protection. These gates that had, had really served the city well. He said, but today we need to open them up wide. High and wide. Unnaturally open them up. Because we're going to bring the ark in. And we're going to bring the presence of God here into this place. And so they, they want the, the gates to be open. Now, of course, when I, when I start talking about this, we have to orient this back to where we are right now. Because the idea of the ark of the covenant, that's done. Unless you, you know, believe you know, certain movies or something, or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I don't know if you remember that. They, the Nazis found the Ark in that. Wasn't it the original one they found the Ark in? Mm -hmm. And uh, they tried to open it, and all kinds of bad things happened and, and all that stuff, I mean, I guess. But really for us, the Ark's done. We really don't have anything to do with it. And so these verses are speaking, still speaking. I mean, it's still truth, and it's still speaking to us. But the idea that we have of God is a little bit different than he lives in a box. The idea we have of God is that he lives in us. The idea that we have of God that if he's not living us, he wants to live in us. He wants to make us his dwelling place. The Bible talks about the temple of God, that, that we are the temple. We are the dwelling place. We are the place that God has chosen to dwell in. So there are no more uh, at least of any importance, right? There's no more temple. There's no more stone building. There's no more of that where the Ark of the Covenant would rest. But God himself has made a decision that he wants to dwell in us. God himself has said that we would be his temple. And so here we are. And so as we're his temple, as we're his dwelling place, we put ourselves in that position, and so we hear this command. The command is open wide and high. Open wide and high your gates. And what are the gates? Again, protection. What are the gates? They control in and out. They're points of control. What are the gates? They, they've served well to protect the city. They've served well to protect the people. And yet at this moment, at the moment where we're going to welcome the presence of God, we're going to welcome 
the, the, who God is into our midst, we need to open our gates wide and we need to open our gates high in an unnatural fashion to receive him. And that's important that you start thinking about it as unnatural because isn't it natural to protect yourself? Isn't it natural? I mean, don't most people have a reflex to protect themselves? I mean, even if it's just a ball up, if it's to run away, I mean, we're, we're coded. We have DNA coding that, that helps us in those situations. You may have heard of it before. It's fight or flight. It's a primitive part of your brain. And it causes certain mechanisms, certain systems in your body to operate because you're going to face something. And when you face that thing, you're going to make a decision. And it's this, this lizard part of your brain that makes that decision. This primitive part of your brain that's been encoded into you. That says, okay, I'm going to turn and I'm going to fight this thing. Or I'm going to turn I'm going to run. And that's how we're coded. It's there to protect us. That's natural. That's something that we've all been given. And sometimes we have to retrain or sometimes we have to take our minds and we have to overrule that. Right? It's not appropriate to run and hide every time you're afraid. It's not appropriate to run and hide every time you're in a confrontation. It's not appropriate to run and hide just because somebody doesn't like something you said and confronts you about it. And so a part of our brain that's not the lizard part, the part of our brain that is a thinking and higher reasoning part needs to overrule that part of our brain sometimes. When you start learning how to fight and how to defend yourself, and you start learning how to handle certain situations, the part of your brain that's a higher thinking part needs to overrule the fight or flight part of your brain. Because sometimes in certain situations, that part of your brain will get you killed. You don't realize that and you don't know that, but it, it is just it, for whatever reason, in certain situations, that is not going to serve you well. And it's in those situations that your higher thinking needs to take over, it needs to come to the forefront. And so it's something human about protecting ourselves. There's something human about looking out for ourselves. There's something human about, about putting ourselves in favorable situations and circumstances. We like that. And there's something really human about that. But it is not necessarily the way our lives must go. And that's what I'm trying to say. And so while it's a human thing to protect, it's a human thing to defend, it's a human thing to to be in safety and to seek safety for our lives. It is very human to do that. There are times when we may choose not to do that. This is one of those times. The command goes out, open your gates. Well, that makes you vulnerable. Yeah, it does. But there's got to be a part of you that can overrule the part that's afraid. There's got to be a part of you that's going to overrule the lizard brain that says you can't do that because you're going to leave yourself vulnerable and open. But, you know, on the other side of vulnerable and open is the idea that you're willing to receive by opening your gates wide and high. That's awesome. The other part of that is that you're welcoming the king, the presence of God. And you're showing you're welcoming the presence of God by opening yourself up. It shows that you've decided something. 
You've decided that you want him and that that's more important than you protecting yourself somehow or protecting your cheese or protecting whatever it is you're going to protect. For some of us, one of the hardest things we ever do is speak in tongues because it's so weird. And we don't like to let go. We don't like to let go of, of whatever it is we need to let go of to do that. Some people have no problem with it. They're like, all right, I just prayed over you. Speak in tongues. They'll just start speaking in tongues. Don't care. Happens. Other people, man, it's a fight. It's a struggle. Because one part of their brain is struggling with another part of their brain that won't give in, that won't give up, and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And it creates an internal and an inner struggle in a person to really let go enough to see that happen. I firmly believe that God wants to pour out His Spirit. I firmly believe that God wants to fill us. I firmly believe that God wants to show us His glory. I firmly believe that God wants His glory to be in us and through us. I really believe that. But I also know that part of what holds that back, it's not Him, it's us. I also know that part of what's holding that back is our inability, our unwillingness to make ourselves vulnerable, our, our unwillingness to make ourselves open and willing and welcoming and decided about what we really want. That somehow in us we can make a decision, yeah, I really, 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 I, I, want, his, I want his glory. I, I want the power of his spirit in me. I want whatever it is you want. And you can make that decision, but until you can open yourself, until you can put yourself in that vulnerable situation, it's going to be really, really hard to receive that. It's going to be really hard to see that manifest in and through your life. Really hard. When I first was a Christian and we were really starting to explore the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we ran into was, was really being willing to speak out in tongues. Because back then, the first gift that most people exhibited was the gift of tongues. And it was done in a public setting. So in other words, I'd stand up in a meeting or in church and I'd speak out in tongues. Okay. Well, what if that sounds stupid? Who cares? Go for it. All right. Got it. And it wasn't really an open atmosphere like we have here. I mean, people were right on it, and they would let you know if it was dumb. And they'd stop you. If they heard something they didn't like, they'd just stop you from doing it. All right? So, so we give the message in tongues. Then what happens after that is that someone needs to interpret and so you can roll the dice and you can give a message in tongues and hope somebody interprets that. Because they might. But in the end, it falls back on the person that gives the message. And so they've got to be ready to interpret it. So back then, here was the situation. All right, I want to be using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, these are the gifts you start with. Right? So, all right, so now I'm going to give this message in tongues. It could sound dumb. Maybe it didn't even it. They're going to stop me right there. But then if I give the message in tongues and no one interprets it, then i got to come up with an interpretation for it. Right? And so what happens is, in those moments, is that there has to come a point, there has to come a place where we can open the gates. We open them wide and we open them high. Because once we're that vulnerable and once we're that exposed, there's no going back. And just let it go. And in doing so, you're going to welcome 
the presence of God. In doing so, you're, you're decided, I'm going to be using the gifts of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to welcome Him into my life. I'm willing to allow Him to flow through my life. And He does. And if it was one thing, and then another, and another time, and another time, until after a while, those, those gates feel comfortable wide open. Those gates feel comfortable just so high up in the air like that, with that huge opening, and all of that, that, that free space in there feels great after a while. But not at first. At first it's scary. At first it's something I don't even know about. I don't even know if I want that. But once I can let go, once I can allow what needs to happen to happen, then all of a sudden I, I can get a different perspective on it. And so it just depends on which side of it you're on. Are you, are you on the closed gate side of it, feeling safe and secure? Then what I'm saying sounds scary and big and hard. If you're on the open gate side of it, you're looking at me like, yeah, of course. Doesn't everybody know that? No, they don't. I have a heart to see God moving more in our midst. I have a heart to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation more in our midst. I have a heart to see people in the glory of God flowing through them. I have a heart for that. I have a heart to see the glory of God manifest in our midst. It's not going to happen with the gates closed. I'm talking about your gates. It's not going to happen. That's only going to happen when the gates are wide and high. That's it. And so I, I want to encourage you that as we take this psalm and we bring it to today, that there's a command that goes forth on this. God's presence is here. He, we gathered in the name of Jesus. The Bible says he's here in our midst right now. God's presence is in you. We know that. We know that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there, he's, he's in you by the Holy Spirit. We know that. The Bible talks about Christ dwelling richly in our hearts. We know that. And so there needs to be something bigger and something wider, something higher and wider in our lives to see something manifest. To see that kind of power, that kind of presence of God begin to manifest. There's something really powerful about that. Because you see, there's a recognition as to who God is. You know, the king of glory, it's called. They, they recognized the ark. They understood what the ark was about. I mean, even the Philistines understood what the ark was about, at least rudimentary. In, in some rudimentary way, that they understood that the ark was the presence of God, the God of Israel. Well, they had their own gods, but they still took the ark because they knew the ark gave Israel victory many times. They knew that there was something to be said about God's presence, and they wanted his presence in their midst. And so they took that ark. They, they had a recognition of what the ark was, of who the ark was. Well, we need a recognition. Because I know I said this before, but I want you to think about it. I mean, God in us, God with us. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit manifest in us and through us. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what it means that God chose to make and in choosing to make his dwelling place with us. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And there's something powerful about that. There needs to be a recognition of that, not just right now, but on a daily basis and more often than that. But a recognition that the, the presence of God is with us and in us. Somebody look at Hebrews 1.6. Anybody? In the end, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Alright, now that verse, who recognized in that verse? Who's recognizing in that verse? The angels. The angels are recognizing and they're worshiping. You think about the, the incarnation. You think about Jesus coming into the world. Who worshipped him? Angels? Who else worshipped him? Shepherd, Ignorant shepherds. Because they've been tipped off by the angels, right? But at least they had enough sense to go over there and do it. Who else came to worship him? The Magi. Now, these were not believers. Magi weren't. They're astrologers from Babylonia. They saw a star in the sky, and they read the stars, and they came. They're, they're astrologers. But they saw it. They recognized it. I mean, they're in every Christmas play ever, right? <laughs> that they, they recognized something. They recognized him, and they came and they worshipped him. They had enough sense to do it. You go down to verse 8 of Psalm 24, it talks about opening your gates and all that, but then it says, who is this king? There's a question that's asked. Who is he? And, and then he answers it. He's strong and mighty, mighty to battle, in battle. He's the God who saves his people. He's the God that's strong and mighty. He's the God who's mighty in battle. Who is this king, this king of glory? Kind of an interesting question, right? I mean, I think it's interesting. It's like, well, you, you've come, you've opened the gates for the king of glory. Well, who is this king of glory? It's more than what you can just see. It's more than the pomp and the circumstance. It's more than just him coming through the gate in his royal robes. Who is he? What does he mean to us? Who is he in our lives? There needs to be a recognition of that. Because I don't know that the Magi left any more saved than they showed up. Because there was a question that needed to be answered in their life. Who is Jesus going to be in their life? I don't know. I can't answer that. But that's the main question. Recognizing and showing up, good. Yes, you need to recognize. You need to worship, good. But you've got to answer a question, who is this? Who is this, really? Who is this to you? Who is this for your life? What is your response to him? What does this mean? And so I started asking questions about you being the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to you? I mean, really? What does that mean to you? And I see different people using that in all, all kinds of different ways. I even see like, like weight equipment companies using that. Your body is a temple. 
Train accordingly. And I see other groups using that, but what does it really mean? Not, not in, out there, not because this guy uses it or, or those people use it as a phrase or whatever, but what does it really mean to your life? That you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you? What does it mean that Jesus is in your life in a real way? What does that mean? Not words, words, words either. What does it mean to you? How does that affect you daily? How does that affect the decisions that you make? Does it? Does it not? I mean, if you look in Corinthians when Paul is talking about that. He's hoping that the knowledge of that will affect their behavior somewhat. That was his purpose of sharing it. At least one of his purposes was sharing that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there's something in that, and there's something about that, that he was hoping that would cause a change in behavior in them. So how does it affect you? How do you recognize that? What is the point of recognition in your heart, in your life, that the Lord God Almighty of the universe is in you? That the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the face of the deep at creation is now inside of you. How does that affect you? What does it mean? I mean you can start making a list, say, well, I, I speak in tongues. I, I move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Or I move in A, B, C, D. EFG, 13, 14, 15 gifts, whatever it is. And you can say that, or you can say that, uh, whatever you want to say. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. But what does it mean? And there needs to be something, I mean really, something behind it, something that matters. Who is the king? Who is this king of glory? He wants to come in. He wants to come into you. He wants to come into you more powerfully than he is right now. But who is this king of glory? And I think you really got to answer that question for your life if you're going to see more of him manifest in your life. I just believe that. I think he comes in and dwells you. I think he comes and he fills you up. I think he does all those things. But if you're really going to live in the manifest presence of Christ in your life, you got to answer these questions. And, and they're not really that hard. It's just stuff you don't want to hear. It's stuff you don't want to say. It's stuff you don't want to do. The answer's not hard. You just don't want to do it. And because you don't want to do it, you're not going to experience the manifest presence of God the way He desires you to. I'm not even sorry I'm saying that. It's just what it is. And there's lots of things in life that you're unwilling, if you're unwilling to make the sacrifice, you're unwilling to do what needs to get done, you're not going to experience it. It's not. And, and it's just that's the way life is. You understand that, right? I mean, you understand that's how things work? You know, if, if you don't want to study for a test, you're not going to pass it probably. You don't want to learn to drive. Even if you show up for your driver's test, you don't practice in the car, you're probably not going to pass your driver's test. And so you look at it and say, well, what am I trying to do here? Then you got to get up and you got to do what needs to get done. 
Like, okay, I want the presence of God. I want the manifest presence of Christ. I want the glory of God in and through my life. I want to see more of Him in and through my life. I want more of His Spirit, more of His presence with me. Well, you need to do the things that need to get done. And some of the stuff that needs to get done, one, those gates need to get open, high and wide. Two, and all that means, vulnerability, openness, willingness, welcoming, deciding. you got to come out of your normal operation in order to see that happen. you got to do it. And you're not going to see his presence like you want to. Second thing is you need to answer that question, who is this king in my life? What does it mean? And begin to answer that question in earnest. You start doing those couple things, you're going to start seeing his presence more and more in your life. Let's look up a couple verses. 1 Corinthians 2.8. 1 Corinthians 2.8. And then somebody else, James 2.1. First Corinthians 2.8, James 2.1. Alright, so here you see Jesus referred to as the Lord of glory. That's who he is. And, and the rulers of this age, talking about the demonic spirits and the people that they were controlling, if they had seen the big picture of things, they wouldn't have done what they did. Because in killing Jesus, they secured salvation for everybody, and for all time, for anybody who, want, who, wants to, who wants to answer the call. Understand that. And so just looking at themselves, looking at their selfish interests, looking at what they wanted to do, that's all they could see. I wonder what would have happened if they had said, who is this king? And really looked at it a big picture kind of way. I wonder if they had had the same attitude. I wonder if they had done the same things. I wonder if they had made the same mistake that they made that time. Maybe. A lot of pride going on there. Maybe. A lot of selfishness going on there. Maybe. Self-centeredness, yep. Maybe they would have. I mean, it's, it's good they did because that's how we're saved now. And so whatever needed to happen, the sacrifice was made. Jesus was crucified. But he is the Lord of glory. James 2.1, somebody? Just another verse that says that, because I think we don't really think of him that way all the time. But he is the Lord of glory. He's the King of glory. So who is this King of glory? Well, he's our Savior. He's our friend. He's our brother. That's pretty good, right? He's the Lamb of the tri He's the Lamb that was slain. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a mighty man of war. He's the bright and morning star. He's lots of stuff. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Pretty powerful. I mean, he, he's our king. And that is, the, that is who the king of glory is. So, so who is he for you? What does that mean? What does it mean he dwells in you? What does that mean? 
What does it mean that you live in his presence? What does that mean? In any practical way, anything. I want you to think about it. Any way that's practical in your life, what does it mean? Not using lofty Christian terms, not, not saying stuff, oh, you know, uh, he has purchased the redemption through his blood in the day, you know, whatever. What does it really mean to you? I'm not saying what I just said wasn't true. It's just we need to kind of get, get it whittled down to something we can really take home with us and understand. Something we can actually bite into. Not one of those Boca burgers either. Like a real hamburger with meat. Place where I go eat sometimes, they have what's called the Impossible Burger. It's made out of all plant products. Yeah, like the Boca Burger. And I guess if you don't eat meat, I guess you got to do what you got to do, right? But I don't want that. I don't. I don't want that. If I want to eat a hamburger, I want it to be meat. Yeah. That's just me, though. But that's how I feel about it. Especially if I'm going to pay 10 bucks for a hamburger. Something had better had died for that. Yeah. So, so, so what's the real deal? Right? You know, just because something says one thing or whatever, it doesn't mean it's the real deal. What does it really mean? And, and, and the, the reality of it in our lives, that's what I'm looking for. Not what it looks like or what it smells like or any of that. I want to know what it really is. You don't have to tell me about what's on the periphery of it. I just want to know what it is on the inside. I really want to know what it is, substance-wise. Because you know they put those Boca burgers in buns like regular hamburgers, right? And they throw, like, uh, mayonnaise and ketchup and mustard on them. And they put some lettuce on them. And they might even put some avocado on them. And they make them look really good. But there's a problem with it. You know what the problem is? There ain't no meat. And they even smell like burgers sometimes. I'm going to grill it. That's a real problem, though. There ain't no meat. And if you're going after a hamburger, you want some meat. So... So what does it really mean? And that's what I'm getting at. I want to know what it really means. Because, man, I, I hear enough talk. I, I, I can't stand it. And those of you that have been around me long enough, when people start talking to me in Christian, it makes me kind of crazy. Because I can't figure out what they're talking about most of the time. And they will go on and on, sometimes 10, 15 minutes, talking to me in Christian. And I, I'm still trying to discern, what are you saying or what do you want? That's all I want to know. What, what, are you, what are you really saying? What do you really want? What's at the center of this conversation? What's, what's the meat of the conversation? Because it drives me crazy. And, and, and we've gotten so good at talking as Christians, we've lost track of what, what really matters. Like, what really matters? 
And, and something needs to matter. Something needs to be affecting our lives. Something really needs to be inspiring us. Something really needs to be changing us. And I mean in reality. Not just talking about it, but actually happening. There needs to be some real glory in our life. There needs to be some real manifestation of Jesus through our life. Really, I mean in reality. It needs to be happening. There needs to be some real gifts being, being used and, and, and really brought forth through our lives. And maybe not just the one. Maybe two or three or four or twelve being manifest through us. That'd be good. That might be better, right? And that's what I'm looking for. That's what, I, that's what I'm teaching toward right now is that. Something better. Something that just doesn't kind of smell and look like it. But I mean the real deal. Not something that just has a few trimmings around it and it's going to fool you. Well, you can fool everybody, but you're not going to fool Jesus. So it's, it's fruitless to do it. You know, when, the, when they took the ark, people had enough sense, man. They knew that was bad. They did. They knew it was bad when the Philistines got the ark and the ark was no longer in Israel. In other words, they recognized that when the presence of God left, the presence of God left, that that was a bad thing. And they mourned it. They didn't ignore it. They didn't pretend it was there. They didn't build an ark, cover it with gold, like gold uh, spray paint or something, and leave it in the Holy of Holies and say, oh, it's there. Just don't look too hard at it. It's there. They didn't dress up something and dress up an orange box and leave it out for it or anything else. They recognized that the presence of God had departed, that, that he was gone. That's what they recognized. You know that name Ichabod? It's that time of year, right? Ichabod Crane? Yeah. Kid, poor kid named Ichabod in the Bible. It is a Bible name. The reason he was named Ichabod is because when the, when the ark was taken by the Philistines. And the name means the glory has departed. That was a, that was a kid's name. The glory has departed. Because it was a big deal. It wasn't acceptable. It wasn't okay. And I know there's plenty of churches. I know there's plenty of Christians. It's okay with them. It's not okay. I know they accept it and they, they substitute for it and they got better light shows and they got better sound and worship and they got a bigger worship team and they got a stage and all the lights are off in the morning, all the rest of that. I know, I know, I know, and I got nothing against any of that stuff, but it is no substitute for the presence of God. Not. It is no substitute for the power of God flowing through his people. None. It is no substitute for his glory at all. And never should it be. It's not okay. Don't be okay with it. Don't be okay with it in your life. Don't. It's not okay that the glory of God has departed from you. It's not. It's not okay that his presence has departed from you. That is not okay. Now, we can argue about it. We can go back and forth. Did he really leave? Probably not. He never gives up on you, loser. All right, he's there. But you're not experiencing it. You're not experiencing it. You're not living in it. You follow me? 
And that should not be okay. That's what I'm trying to say. That shouldn't be okay. And you can take comfort that Jesus never leaves, he never forsakes, he never gives up, because he doesn't. But man, we should be living in that, not all around it. We should be living in that, you know, and, and really experiencing that in our lives, and it shouldn't be okay that we're not. Yeah, that is, uh, Ichabod's found in 1 Samuel 4, 21, if you want to read that, where he talks about that. We need his presence, we need his victory. We need to be a resting place for Jesus. It's not okay. You see, Jesus... Right, go ahead. Was he depressed a lot? Never. Having a name like that? I mean, oh, Ichabod? I don't know. We really don't know much about Ichabod. I don't know. But I, I think it's interesting that in our folklore that there was another person named Ichabod, and there have been through the years because it's a Bible name. That's all. And, and so, Jesus is a manifestation of the divine. Let's just get it straight. He manifests God. He is a manifestation. He is God. He's a manifestation, a human likeness manifestation of the divine. That's what he is. He is a manifestation of rule and authority. A manifestation of dominion. And so if we're not experiencing those things, it's not okay. We need to, to have a heart for that. We need to have an open mind for that. It's not okay we're not experiencing those types of things, his rule, his authority, the manifestation of divine in our life, dominion. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God. Luke 17 is really clear about it. It's like people will say, where is this kingdom? Is it here? Is it there? They're going to look for it all over the place. How much does it weigh? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What's the kingdom of God? And Jesus' answer to that is, they can look anywhere they want. They can look all around. They can look all over for it. But the kingdom of God is, anybody know the rest of that statement? Is in you. That's what Jesus said. And so that rule and that authority, that dominion, that kingdom is in you. You, you know there's no greater glory than Jesus? There's none greater. All the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament, all that glory that they talk about in the Old Testament, the fog and everybody falls out and everything else, is not greater than Jesus, ever. The greatest glory of God is, has chosen to be in you. The kingdom of God, he has declared, is in you. So his divine rule, his divine authority is in you. His dominion is in you. No greater glory, no greater glory than what dwells in your heart exists. There is no greater glory. So it's not okay that that doesn't matter. I assure you, it needs to matter. And it needs to be real. Revelation 3.20, would somebody like to read that? Revelation 3.20. You should know this one by heart. Come on now.
All right, so he's knocking. He's knocking the gate. There it is. Who is this king? Well, it's Jesus. All right? And again, no greater glory. All authority, dominion, kingdom, rule, divine. There he is. He's knocking. Can you hear him? Probably not. But he's knocking. And so as he's knocking, we have a choice, right? He wants to come in. And, and, and really what we're looking for here is not the normal operation of that door. We need to throw that thing high and wide. If it's a front door, it needs to be a garage door. All right? Not normal operation. Get that thing open. Because it's not okay that we're living all protected. It's not okay that we're living all bunched up in our lives. It's not okay that we're living in fear. It's not okay. It's not. It's not okay that we're not experiencing the reality of Christ in us. It's not okay. And I want more. And I want to encourage you to more. No greater glory lives than what's in our hearts right now. He's knocking. Why don't we recognize him? Why don't we open wide the doors and let's see what might happen. And, and that's my word of encouragement to you. So I want to take a few moments and I want to pray. And I really just want to, I just want to, first of all, just encourage you to open your doors to an unnatural size, bigger, taller, wider, to an unnatural size of a door to welcome that king in. Yeah. And all the rest of that, recognizing who he is, all the rest of that, recognizing his glory, all the, the rest of that, seeing that glory manifest through our lives, all the rest of that, his gifts, his anointings, all the rest of those things, his presence in our heart. I mean, all of that, we got to get those doors open. So let's just take a moment, and right where you're at, just pray. And I'll pray for you to start with, but you're going to really need to pray this one yourself. Father, I thank you that you're standing here. Uh, Revelation 3.20 says you're standing at the door and you're knocking. You, you really want to come in. You really want to come in and as the king of glory. And the Bible says, and we've seen it at least twice in the New Testament, here's the, here's the Lord of glory right here. I pray that we can hear what you said through the psalmist to open our gates in an unnatural size of height and width and to welcome you in. To welcome you into our lives. And that speaks to a vulnerability, that speaks to an openness and a willingness, but it also speaks to a welcoming and one who has made a decision. And so God, I pray we could live beyond our just our base instincts Live beyond just the, the kind of animal DNA, fight or flight kind of thing that so easily rules us sometimes. But I pray that something in our higher thinking 
we make a better decision tonight to invite you in and to open wide our gates. So I just want to give you a few moments to think about that and what that really means, the vulnerability that that really means, the openness that that describes, the, the willingness that that expresses. I want you to think about that and count that cost. Because on the other side of that, that's a great way to say welcome. Welcome, Jesus. Welcome, King of Kings. Welcome, Lord of Glory. I've made a decision. I'd rather have you than whatever false sense of security I've been able to generate by hiding. I'd rather have you. So let that just speak to you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, God. And God, it's not okay that, that your glory has departed. And I just ask that we would not be, it would not be okay with us. I do, I pray that. I pray that we wouldn't find, you know, that those places of, oh, it'll be all right and pass or whatever when it comes to losing your glory, when it comes to not living in that glory, when it comes to not living in the manifestation of you in and through our lives. I pray, God, we'd never accept that as just being okay. And so, God, whatever it takes and whatever needs to happen, we invite you. We invite you in in all your glory. We invite you in in all your victory. We invite your presence in to find a resting place in us. We invite the manifestation of the divine into our life. We invite your rule and your authority into our life. We invite your dominion into our lives. I say thanks that your kingdom, that the kingdom of God is in me is in me. That there's no greater glory, there's no greater authority that exists outside of who lives in me. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dwelling in my heart. Thank you for sending your spirit. That would be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Thanks for your presence. I pray that as our as our doors are wide open, as our doors are wide open, recognizing all that it means to know you and to serve you, to be your disciple, all that it means to have you f just fill us to overflowing, all that it means to have your power flowing through us, your dominion at our hand, all that that means. God, come on in. Pray a manifestation of your glory in and through our lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Have your way, God. Have your way. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, God. God, we just simply pray for more. More of you in our lives. More of you manifested through our lives. More of you manifesting as we gather together. We just pray for more. More of Jesus. More of your Holy Spirit. More. I pray that we make the decisions we need to make, do things we need to do. For more. We give you thanks tonight and we give you praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 Good to see everybody. God bless you.